I'm Liam Printer and this is The Motivated Classroom. Hello everyone and welcome to The Motivated Classroom podcast. Bienvenidos, bonjour, falcha, the Irish way to say welcome. So I'm super happy and really glad to have you here listening to this second in a five or maybe six part series on teaching with comprehensible input, teaching with CI. And in this episode, we're going to look a little bit more at really this whole argument about whether teaching with CI is less authentic and is it inherently more inclusive when we teach with CI? So I won't give away the answers just yet because of course we need to start with our little bit of Irish. This is the Motivated Classroom of course and this week the word or phrase is Uruan Ella. Now the word Ur means hour so pretty close in terms of the hour of the clock so you know uh, one hour two hours so that's Ur. So Uruan Ella is, is a bit like in French say encore une fois one more time and that's how we translate that and you'll often get people saying that in class or if you go to a Kaylee where people are Irish dancing they might say Uruan Ella one more time so that's how it goes so there you go that's the Irish for today. Now in last week's episode we were talking quite a lot about the obstacles and the barriers that may be there to teaching with a comprehensible input focus to being a bit more focused on providing lots of compelling interesting inputs for acquisition rather than overly focusing on the grammar and the accuracy and the precision and writing with what I would consider flowery language that is maybe not necessary and using lots of expressions that we may see in, you know, a newspaper article, for example, when people are beginners, uh, expressions that, you know, like, nonetheless, uh, having considered all of the options above, I think this, you know, that's just not the way a beginner would speak the language. It's not a natural conversation. It, it is academic language. But again, we can come to that later. Now, some of you, of course, are bound by the exams that you're preparing for. And some of the exam boards tell you, you must have this flowery, impressive language in order to do well, which is is so disappointing because really if you're only two years into a language it is much better to know how to say I wanted, I went, I had, I forgot, I should have rather than knowing how to say you know taking into account all of this above and despite the options placed here forth you know we just don't speak like that but anyway that's another argument so today we're talking about whether this way of teaching with a CI focus is less authentic because obviously we're slowing down our speech. We're speaking in a particular way with lots and lots of repetitions. We're reading books and materials that are maybe in inverted commas. I don't really like this phrase, but people use it a lot. Dumbed down or made simpler. So people then look at that and say, but this isn't really authentic. You know, this kind of relates to what I was just saying about the flowery language. It's not really authentic for people to keep repeating the word I want, I want, I want in four or five sentences. But these materials are written in a certain way so that they can help us to understand. And yeah, like I said last week, you know, one of the things about starting to teach with more comprehensible input was that many of the materials that we had simply didn't reflect this or the materials were just full of loads of difficult vocabulary and expressions that people wouldn't be able to master or understand as beginners or near beginners. So many of what, you know, you might say in adverted commas, CI teachers felt that there wasn't enough resources out there for them to be able to teach in this way. And yes, in many circumstances, you do have to build and create some of your own resources. And sadly, that's kind of where some of these arguments have happened about people creating resources and writing books and writing created readers. Sometimes maybe they didn't have enough of the language to actually write it in a way that felt I don't like this word, but authentic or felt real or felt like the way that people use the language. 
And so it's created this debate about what are authentic materials and how much do we dumb down the language to make it accessible. You know, Dr. Krashen is quite clear on this. The important thing is that the material is accessible, that you can read and understand material. And, you know, I often think about this, about there are many researchers who write in the field that I read about a lot, motivation, language acquisition, who are not English native speakers and they write in English, they give podcasts in English, they give talks in English. There's mistakes sometimes in what they say, but the content and what they're saying is really important. And therefore, should I just ignore that because they're a non-native speaker? Like, absolutely not. They have so much to contribute. So it's a big debate, this thing about authentic versus non-authentic resources and what that actually means. I think you can absolutely provide authentic inputs and be a non-native speaker. However, I do feel it's really important to say that it's much more challenging to give authentic cultural input, cultural competence and learning about the cultures and the histories and the things that happened. If you didn't grow up in that culture, you weren't immersed and around it for a long time and and lots of family there. I think you always have to go in with a, a pinch of salt and say, I lived in Spain for one year or I spent a summer in France or I studied French in university. I've got lots of French friends. I spent a year in Paris, but I didn't grow up there. So my perspective comes from me going there as an adult. And this is what I thought, as opposed to someone who has been in that country for 20 years and who grew up in a French family and lived in Paris or whatever it may be. I think that is important about acknowledging that difference. And it doesn't make your inputs less authentic, but it's important to acknowledge that you may have some cultural limitations, that you're you're not from that country, you didn't speak it growing up. So therefore you learned it as an adult and that changes your perspective. And as Francoise Thanou told us, just to acknowledge that positionality, say it. This is who I am. I'm Irish, I'm white, I'm straight and I teach Spanish and I'm talking about you know, issues that go on in Colombia and Ecuador and Venezuela, having never lived there, having travelled there. And it's important that you realise that, that this is my perspective and what I've got from what I've read, things I've looked at, people I've spoken to, but I didn't grow up there. And that's important to, to acknowledge. So is using a comprehensible input approach to teaching an, an approach that focuses on acquisition rather than on learning of the mechanics of the language, is doing this less authentic for your learners. And this is just my take on it, but I would say no, it absolutely is not less authentic. Because what do we even mean by that word authentic? It's a very difficult and kind of heavy word with lots of connotations to it. You know, what what do we mean? Am I an authentic Irish person because I have an Irish accent, even though my parents are Scottish. Do, does that make me an authentic Irish person from growing up there? Does it make me an authentic Irish person with an Irish accent and Irish mannerisms, even though I left the country at the age of kind of 19 or 20 and I've spent 20 years almost outside the country? Am I still an authentic Irish person? It's a, it's a very heavy word, I think, to use. So for me, now, this is just my take on it that CI materials can absolutely be very authentic, even if written by a non-native speaker, as long as you acknowledge your positionality and your place around the culture that you're writing about. So I think that's where I stand on this. And again, this is just my take. Of course, it does depend on your level of language. And yeah, if I tried to write uh, a little reader in 
German or Portuguese. Now, I speak German, I speak Portuguese, but I would definitely say not at a very fluent level. I would say I would need to go and live in those countries to really get it to a fluency level. So if I tried to write a book in German, it wouldn't really be very authentic in terms of my level is just not there. It's just not good enough to write a book. I would probably have to write it in English and ask a German speaker to translate it for me. And then is it now authentic? Maybe, yes. But if I have been living in Germany for quite a while and I speak the language at a very high level, let's say if we look at the European framework, say C1, so very advanced uh, level, then absolutely I could write a book in, in that language. Now, I could write one in Spanish. Is it authentic in terms of that I am not Spanish? I did not grow up in Spain. I have family from Spain, but does that does that mean it's not authentic? It's a very difficult one. I think what I would just say is that this is a book written by me as a Spanish teacher. I have lived in Spain. I have family from Spain, but this is my outside perspective on what's going on or what I I see or what I went there as a holiday. And I probably personally not write about too many cultural things because it's just simply not really my culture and I don't know that much about it. Now, maybe I would read something and I'd do a load of research around it and there's some phenomenon going on in Spain and I'd talk to my friends who live there in Córdoba and maybe it's about the Mesquita and the, the interesting link between, you know, the Arabic culture and the Christian culture and the fact that we have a cathedral and a mosque in the same building. And I find this fascinating, so I want to write a little book about it. I would have to do loads of research first, then I would write it in Spanish, then I would get my Spanish friends from Córdoba to check it and go over it and make sure that I wasn't saying anything that jars with them or I wasn't um, creating any, you know, unnecessary or by mistake more stereotypes or saying the wrong things, get them to check it. And I'd probably have to do that among a variety of people, not just one person, but a variety of people from Córdoba. And then I think in the front cover or on the front page or in the first few pages, acknowledge that I am not Cordobes, I'm not from Córdoba that I have friends who live there and family there. And so the research was conducted there, but I am not from there. So this is my perspective on it. I think that has to be acknowledged as much as we possibly can. If you're writing about something really cultural and, and really important to the people from that country, the music, the language, the arts, the, 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 the traditions, the customs, then I think you do have to tread very, very carefully. And I, and I would probably say, make sure that you get lots and lots of people to look at that and, and make sure that they feel it's been accurately represented and even get people to translate it who are from that country or even from that mini culture, that place. If you're writing just a story, if I decided just to write a story, a funny story like I create in class, and it was not necessarily focused on the culture of Spain, let's say, but I was writing, you know, a funny little book about a silly story that happened. And I actually did write one of these on my YouTube channel. I have a little story called the emoji story where I wrote it during lockdown for friends who wanted to learn some Spanish. And so I wrote a little story and it's got uh, emojis that helps you explain. And now that I look back on that, that was what, two years ago, I can see some mistakes in it and I can see that my Spanish has improved since that time. And there's a couple of little errors and I go, oh, I need to re-record that and redo it. Now, does that make it less authentic? I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know what you guys think about that either. I'm a Spanish teacher. I've been teaching it for 10, 12 years, I have, I would consider quite an advanced level of Spanish, but there may be some mistakes there. So what if I read an English story, a really cool little English story to my daughter, and it was written by someone from Hungary, uh, let's say. And this is someone who is an English teacher from Hungary, um, but English is not her first language. And I spot a couple of little things in there that maybe aren't the way that I would say it. 
I still wouldn't look at this and throw it in the bin and go, this isn't authentic because it's written by someone from Hungary who learned English as a teenager and as an adult. It's still a really cool story and I might maybe change that one or two sentences as I read it to my daughter and say, oh, this or that is different. But the whole idea is the communication. So it's a big question, this idea of authenticity. And I don't know the exact answer to that. I'm just opening it out there to all you guys to see what you think. My personal take on it is you can have very authentic materials that provide us with compelling, interesting, comprehensible inputs. Remember, the goal is that they're understandable and there's loads of repetitions to help to embed those structures, even if you are a non-native speaker. However, personally for me, and again, this is just my take on it, if you're trying to write about cultural aspects of a certain country or peoples or places, I think with lots of research, it can absolutely be done with lots of what we call in the research circles, member checking, which is other people checking over your work, looking over it, and not just someone you know who happens to be a native speaker. If you're going to write about the culture of Cordoba and the culture of the Arabic culture and the Christian culture and how they come together in Cordoba, then you definitely need someone from Cordoba and you probably need a few people from Cordoba to read that and check it over. And of course, if a focus of the book is on Christian culture and Arabic culture, you definitely need someone from both of those cultures or religions to look over it and ensure that there is no negative stereotypes or negative connotations being represented by you in that book. Really important. And yeah, maybe they'll look at it and go, oh, you know, maybe someone from Cordoba should have written this. But sometimes you just have to say, but someone from Cordoba didn't write it and they haven't written it. And I want to share this with my students. But I'm going to acknowledge that I am an Irish person looking at this from the outside, having spoken to friends and writing from that perspective. I think it's just so important that you acknowledge your perspective whenever you're talking about cultural elements. And that's difficult for us as non-native speakers, but to, to really try and do that. And it'd be the same as me when I'm teaching English. If I'm talking about Australian culture, if I'm talking about US culture, if I'm talking about English culture, then I acknowledge that, you know, this is my perspective as an Irish person, having grown up in Ireland, what I see as, you know, the royal family, for example, my perspective on that will be very, very different to some other people. And they've just had their jubilee, these big celebrations. And if I was talking about that in my English class and celebrating that, I, of course, would need to say that from my perspective and from where I grew up, we have a different view maybe on the royal family. And that has changed over time as an adult. And now, you know, my partner is English, like lots of my best friends are English. And that has changed over time. But to acknowledge that perspective and to acknowledge that lens that I didn't grow up surrounded by uh, a royal family or I didn't grow up with, well, not many of us did, that's for sure. <laughs> not many of us are kings and queens listening to this, but didn't grow up with the royal family around me in the news or it wasn't an important thing at the, in the, my family where I grew up. So I learned about it as an adult. So it's just acknowledging that positionality, I think is super, super important. But for those of you listening and wanting to write, you have a certain topic that you really want to talk about and there's nothing on it or you can't find anything. You're like, well, I'll just write the book on it then fantastic, go for it, go ahead and do it, but maybe get a co-author from that culture or someone to work with you who you maybe write it out and you're all ideas and they look over it, check the language, make sure that the, the cultural aspects are very representative. We're not creating any more stereotypes or anything negative in there mistakenly, you know, completely unintentionally, which can happen sometimes. So that that is the way I would look at that. And in terms of, you know, sometimes I see stuff on Twitter and on social media about people saying that the materials and, and workshops for CI are simply just people trying to make a quick book. So people are saying, 
Uh, and when I say quick buck, that could be something that is misinterpreted. Uh, buck, I mean quick money. So people just trying to quickly make some money. And um, so they create this quick reader and, you know, they don't really care if there's loads of errors in it. They're just trying to make some money. I personally disagree with that. Maybe there are some people out there that that is their goal. I want to, I'm going to tell everybody that teaching that CI is great. Then I'm going to write some books and I'm going to sell them and I'm going to make loads of money from it. And that's what I, I'm doing this for. Maybe those people exist, but I really think they're in a tiny, tiny, tiny minority. I personally have never really come across this. I have come across people who really want teaching of languages to be more about authentic and real acquisition and fun, engaging classes with cultural content rather than people who are saying, oh, I'm just going to write this thing and publish it really quickly with no research just so I can make some money. I do not see that very often. I'm sure it exists. We live in a capitalist world. I'm sure it does exist. But personally, for me, I think these people are in the absolute minority. And I don't think it's a fair representation of people who are authors and creators of materials to say that people are just out to try and make some quick money. I, don't, I personally don't think that's fair. Now, of course, you're maybe listening to this and going, well, that's you would say that, wouldn't you? Because you give workshops and you charge people to attend those workshops. And you're right, I do. I have spent a lot of my career as an adult trying to improve what I do and spent six years doing a doctorate and spent, I don't know how many, three, four hundred hours in this studio with creating episodes and publishing them for free. So I do loads and loads of free stuff. But and I think that's the same with many other people. But I also have a family to provide for. And if I have a certain level of expertise and if people want that expertise, then I, I think it's OK for me to stand behind that and say that I charge for my time. My my time does cost money because I would want to spend that time with my family and doing the things I love. So if I'm going to be doing that using my time on work related materials, then I, I feel like it's only fair to be remunerated for that. And maybe you're listening to this and maybe you disagree with that. But that is personally the way I look at it. I've spent a lot of time trying to get to where I am. And so I feel like it's OK to say that I would like to be paid for some of my expertise. Now, I do loads of stuff for free, but people ask me constantly to to do different things, often for free. And sometimes I just find that a little bit, I don't know, it jars with me a little bit. People expect you to just give a two hour session or a one hour talk or to write a review or to write a blog or do this thing just for free, just because, just because. And I don't know, to a certain level, I don't mind if people, but just say it up front, say, we're wondering, would you mind writing this thing? We don't have any money to pay you, but we would love to hear your input from this. And then at least it's up to me to say, well, to be honest, I've only got one hour free this week. And there's a school over here who really want me to work with their teachers and, and they're going to, to pay me to do this. So actually, I'm going to choose that because I need to provide for my family too, just like everybody else. There's only a certain limit of time and, and free stuff that I can do. So, you know, that's just my view on it. So now I want to look at that second question about being more inclusive. So sometimes I see on social media and different people saying teaching with CI, comprehensive input, is inherently more inclusive because everybody understands what's going on and therefore it is much more inclusive and therefore I am doing DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion. I'm including everyone. And my personal take on this is I absolutely disagree fundamentally with that. I do not believe CI on its own just makes your class more inclusive. Everyone should understand what's going on in your class. That's a given for me. That's got nothing to do with CI. That's got nothing to do with anything. That is just teaching. People need to understand what's going on. That is a given. That is baseline. No matter what subject you're teaching, 
if you're saying, well, the way I normally teach, only 10% of kids understand. So now I'm teaching with CI and 95% kids understand. So now I'm being much more inclusive. Personally, I just think no, now you're just teaching properly. You're, you're making sure everyone understands. And that's why we have to differentiate and look at our materials and make sure that we're connecting with the students and making sure that everyone is understanding everything. For me, that is baseline. In terms of it being more inclusive, automatically, I, I disagree with that. And I go back again to Francoise Tenu, to the series uh, about being more focused on equity and inclusion and social justice. When I spoke to Ben Tinsley, when I spoke to uh, Tan Huyen, so lots and lots of people I've spoken to about this. And it's all about us, our perspective, our lens, and the way that we present the materials to the students. That is what makes it more inclusive. Very good example. Someone could write a very understandable reader about uh, an Irish family who moved to the UK. And in this Irish family, you know, in the book, they say that, you know, Irish people have, uh, more normally have, you know, red hair and freckles. And uh, most Irish people love to drink and get really drunk. But this particular family don't do that. Uh, they don't go out and fight on the streets. And they, they like to read and they like to watch TV. They're different. They're not like most Irish people. That could be very understandable and very easy to understand. So therefore, yes, uh, everyone's understanding, comprehensible input is very comprehensible. Is it more inclusive? Absolutely not. It's creating loads of negative stereotypes about Irish people. So you can have material that is really understandable and you're breaking down and you're asking the students, you're doing a bit of circling, you're bringing things together and going, oh, everyone's understanding, so it's being more inclusive. Absolutely not. If there's an Irish person in that class or someone with Irish heritage, they're sitting there, they are diving down into their seat, they're trying to hide from everything because you're talking about their culture being, you know, a bunch of people who go out and fight and and drink too much alcohol. And, you know, I get this all the time as an Irish person. It's one of the first things people say to me uh, when they meet me. Oh, you're Irish. Oh, I suppose you like to get drunk. It's unbelievable. It's like one of the very first things people say to you, people you don't know, professionals, people who work anywhere. It's one of the first things you hear. And especially when you live abroad. And if you are in a bar and you're an Irish person and people say, oh, come on, let's get let's get a let's get drunk. Let's get a shot. And you say, no, actually, I don't really drink that much. I'll have a non-alcoholic beer. It's just like, what? But you're Irish. You have to drink. It's the stereotypes are real and alive. Now, stereotypes exist for a reason. Sadly, when I go home to Ireland, there are many, many people who drink to excess in Ireland, but not everyone. There's loads of people who do not do that. There's loads and loads of Irish people who are really obsessed with being fit and healthy and singing and dancing and and loads of other things that don't drink very much, that don't go out and fight, that don't do all of these negative stereotypes that you sometimes hear about our culture. But these stereotypes exist for a reason. Maybe it's historical, maybe they come from somewhere. But to write a book and put those things in there and say that this Irish person is different because they don't drink or because they don't go out and fight, then that automatically tells the students, well, every other Irish person is a drunk who goes and fights. And so, therefore, that material is understandable. It's comprehensible. I can teach that in a comprehensible input way. I can get my students up to act out the parts. I can make it really fun. I can repeat it. We can do loads of different exercises with it. We can bring in personal questions. Now I'm doing loads of CI, but is my class inclusive? Absolutely not. I am building more stereotypes with that material. So, my clear answer is, is CI inherently more inclusive my response to that personally, and again, this is just my take, is no, it is not. It is the way that you present the material. And I'll give you the same scenario. You could have very complex language about 
a certain culture and people that's that's really representative and that's showing them in a very positive light. And you can make that really comprehensible by breaking it down and talking about the different things and making sure that people understand what it is and maybe translating some of the words. So now you've turned something difficult into something really interesting, compelling and comprehensible. And now your classroom is more inclusive. So they're the two things I really wanted to look at today. And I guess my answer to, to both questions is no. Is CI inherently more inclusive? No, personally, I think it is from your bias, your lens, your perspective. And you have to unpack that and know your positionality when you're talking about something to go in there with humility and say, I only know so much about this because I am from this culture. I am a white, straight male. So if I'm reading a book about a black female gay writer, That is not something I can immediately connect with on a personal level, but I can read and learn about it. But I have to come in there and say, look, I'm not black. I'm not gay. I'm not a woman. So I'm looking at this from my perspective and this is what I take from it. But you in my class, some of you here are gay. Some of you are black. Some of you are women. And some of you are all three of those things. And so you're reading it with a different lens. And that's and, and, you know, I want to learn from you, too. That's the important part. And the second question was, is teaching with CI less authentic? And I would personally say, again, no, I really don't think it is less authentic. I think what you're trying to do is make it understandable, interesting, comprehensible, compelling for your listeners. So they acquire the language naturally and then you can make it more and more complex and more and more difficult as time goes on, bringing in more and more difficult structures as the students get more advanced and as they have had built up that system more and more in their heads. So that is the way I would look at it. So I have a gut feeling that this episode is going to be a little bit controversial. But as I say, this is just my take. I'm just a teacher. I've done some research. I've done some reading. I've done some listening. And this is just my take. And you may completely disagree. And that's okay. Let me know why. And hopefully we can have a conversation about it. So that is today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Now, of course, the Irish word for today was Urawan Ella. It's an Irish phrase meaning one more time or another time or one more go, for example, Urawan Ella, three separate words. And Remember, please do go along and find the podcast on patreon.com, The Motivated Classroom, if you'd like to become a supporter of the podcast to get me some crisps or coffee once a month to say thank you for all these free episodes. That would be wonderful. If not, no problem whatsoever. Don't worry about it. Keep listening for free. Keep sharing it with your friends. That is the goal of all this. Now, if you're still listening and you're still here, then I do have some news for you. I am going to be delivering another three-part workshop on teaching with compelling, comprehensible inputs. And that workshop will take place in August and September. It's currently open on my website for booking. It has been open for a couple of weeks, but I haven't publicised it or said it to anybody yet, really, because I certain people signed up in advance on a Google form to say they were interested and they get an email first to allow them some pre-booking. So about half of the places are gone already. Uh, if you are interested, go and have a look leanprinter.com and look for the workshop. It's a three part workshop, one and a half hours each day over three Saturdays with two weeks in between to allow you to practice some of the things, then come back to the workshop. So if you're interested, go and have a look at that, share it with people. It's available for booking now. And in the last couple of times I've run this, it has booked up very, very quickly. So if you're interested, go and have a look. It's done online and you can look at the times and the booking and everything there. There's a special discounted fee for those who are patrons and those of you who are studying to be teachers. So if you're a trainee teacher. So there you go. If you lasted all the way till the end, you heard that little snippet as well. So thank you very much. Gurumila Mahagav, August Sloan The Motivated Classroom podcast is an original production by Liam Printer. 
I'm at Liam Printer on Twitter, and my YouTube channel is Liam Printer The Motivated Classroom. Full podcast notes with links to resources are available on my website, liamprinter.com. For more, find and follow The Motivated Classroom podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Graphics and music are provided by Paul Mahan. Intro clips are thanks to the wonderful multilingual staff at the International School of Lausanne.